welcome to Power Band Podcast, Season 3, brought to you by Motormark. Keep listening to find out how you can save on your next Motormark purchase. Power Band Podcast, it is Season 3, Episode 7. Can you believe it? The premier New Zealand motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Bikers for Kiwi Bikers. My name is Ray Heron. Joining me is co-host Matthew Day Gillett. Hey man, how's your week been? Oh, busy, 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 as always. Uh, been out riding the MTO 7, testing out the Michelin Road 5 tyres. Spoiler alert, I love them. They are fantastic. Yeah, well, you're a published author now, aren't you? I saw... Oh, a, apparently, yeah. I saw about three three pages, I think, in the latest edition of Kiwi Rider. Yes, pages and photos about uh, getting the Michelins on the bike, and man, what, what a chronic story that was. Yeah, well, there's a nice photo of a giant nail in um, the bank tyre, isn't there? Yeah, and uh, the bike up on a trailer. So if you want to read that, head to um, kiwirider.co.nz. I don't usually like talking about chicken strips, but generally, they're the kind of they're a way that internet wankers make themselves feel superior and make other people feel like twats. But uh, mine are shrinking. Oh, nice. I can't say the same for the Avons on the uh, CRF250L, but um, I'm pretty sure if I got those all the way over to the edge, um, I'd be scraping fairing. <laughs> it's not really what they're made for, really, is it? No. But um, the, the, the MT-07, man, it's leaning over real well. It's, those tyres are... Uh, really, really confidence-inspiring. I'm closing in on 2,000 Ks on them. Yeah, well, I've always rated the Michelin Pilot Series, eh? And um, like, I remember when the Road 3s were new, um, which seems mental, but like, I always rated them. Like, I had basically the, all I would put on my hire songs when I had uh, the GT250 and then the GT650. Didn't own the GV250 long enough to change tyres on it, but, um, man, those Michelins, they're, they're pretty decent rubber, I reckon. I've had uh, quite a few different sets of wheels on MT-07s. Obviously, I've had two of them. Uh, and I was, I actually, I, there was a comment on Facebook on one of the posts on the uh, Kiwi Rider Facebook page. Somebody said, uh, oh, don't forget it about the Bridgestone T31s. And I'm like, yeah, they're good tyres. The, the, the T31s are good. I had a set on the old MT-07. And comparing horses for courses, I've got to say that the Michelin Road 5s, they give me far more confidence. I suppose the Road 5's brand new as well, isn't it? It's had like, what, an extra year in development. So they would have benchmarked that off the T31 as well and gone, oh, we need to better this. You'd assume anyway. I mean, the, the T31 was really, really good in the wet. It had great big channels and they were quite angular. So it would be, it would, did a really good job at moving that water out of the way and making sure that you had a good amount of rubber on the road. But the Michelins uh, with their... Um, with their, they're not big, long water wells. They're they're quite chunky, wide water wells, uh, and they're also wider deep in the tire than they are at the surface. So they they suck that water up off the road and make sure that you've got heaps of grip on the road, and they just feel more planted. I mean, don't get me wrong, the T thirty ones are good, but I think the Michelin Road fives are better. Yeah, and definitely in your application anyway. Hey, what have you been up to? I've had a uh, interesting week I guess I'd say. Um, well, you been over to Thailand again? No I have not though I, I can't believe that was only last week it seems like forever ago. I've seen more videos from you come out and um, watching uh, yourself get stuck uh, almost waist deep in sand but then seeing um, Jock McLaughlin <laughs> from Kiwi Rider just, just doing donuts around you is hilarious. Yeah he's a real hero old Jock and um, not gonna lie he's got a few more years experience um, riding on me and um, he is a former farmer so he's used to mud plugging um, but Matt, he was the utter hero of that launch just plucked three or four bikes out of the sand no dramas um, and yeah made me feel like a right hole chump definitely um, head to uh, onthrottle.co.nz and check out the full videos though uh, we've only shared sh- short snippets uh, on our channels but uh, at onthrottle you've got the full story on that um, on that V85 TT and the launch and it just made me jealous man I'm, I, I just want to go on one of these launches and test out a new bike I was- you never know man you never know like I just, I'm sitting here, I'm at my desk, I'm in the old rumpus room, got the bike next to me, and um, honestly, this is something that no manufacturer's ever done, like, I've done been doing this gig for, what, six years, I think, now, and I've actually got a photo from the launch, framed, with a V85 TT um, watermark on it, of me crossing my very first river. Oh, did they send it to you? They gave it to me at the launch, like, with when they give you the little USB with all the information and the photos and whatnot framed photo of me doing my first ever river crossing. Oh, that's a nice touch. It's really quite special, to be honest. Um, 
yeah, I'm not one to sort of tear up or anything, but that's a moment in my motorcycling history that one, I'll never forget. And two, it's immortalized and I've got a little keepsake to remember it. It's one of the neatest things I've been given on a launch. Um, and let's be fair, a lot of the launches you go on, um, whether you're doing cars or motorbikes, they like to bribe you with some nice um, swag, launch swag. But yeah, apart from a coffee cup I got from another manufacturer, I think that's probably the nicest thing I've ever been given. What else have you been up to uh, as far as riding this week, though? As far as riding this week, well, I woke up at five o'clock on Saturday morning, not by choice. Um, the little fellow decided that, oh, daddy set his alarm for six. I'll wake him up at five. He'll like that. Um, I did not, um, for the record. And so I um, was invited, um, luckily enough, to go to the uh, birthday ride for Kiwi Rider, which is 35 years old this year. 35 years. So one, one back to the clock. That's 1984. That's before me, leave alone you. Yeah, I know, right? And um, yeah, so it was also the publisher's birthday as well. Um, I believe it was 61 plus one. Uh, you do the math. And um, so he organised, and I'm not kidding, probably one of the best rides I've ever done in the Auckland region. Um, and it, most of it was on gravel roads I never even knew existed. Like you could probably plan a really good adventure ride just around the Auckland region with some of these roads we were going on. Like I wanted to stop and take photos. What kind of areas are we talking here? Are we talking like well well out of town or? Oh uh, yeah, sort of north of northwest of Kumu, um, around Kalkopakopa. Kind of made the made some moves in the direction of Wellsford, and that's when I got completely lost and just started following the bike in front of me. Or in my case, um, the skid marks in front of me, because I was in the slow group, but I, even then I was slower than the slow group riders. But it was an amazing ride. Um, I've never been on something that's so casual yet so well organised. So there were two groups. There was a fast group, which was led by um, Jock McLaughlin of Kiwi Rider, and there was a slow group led by um, the publisher... Um, Pete, or Veg, as he's commonly known. And um, so Old Veg was riding his Ural um, sidecar outfit, which is a really cool piece of kit. And, um, has a BMW engine in it because the old Russian engine was a bit rubbish. Um, and yeah, so upgraded engine and all this. And it's got the most wicked bright orange camo paint job. Um, so you can't miss it when he's leading a ride. But holy hell, was it windy on that ride. So Kumu had all its power knocked out as I was riding through. I was thinking, oh, I'm glad I fueled up at uh, oh, Westgate back there because there's no power at the petrol stations here. And we were riding along a couple of ridge lines and I wasn't riding the rally. I was riding a different bike, which we will review next week. I'll go on. Tell us what it was, though. It was the uh, new Triumph Scrambler 1200 XE, which is the one with the fancy O suspension and uh, extra off-road riding mode and taller seat height. What's the uh, engine configuration on that? So that's a 1200cc parallel twin. Um, so the engine, without giving it all away, um, is based off the engine in the Thruxton 1200, I believe. So it's not based off the high-torque Bonneville engine. It's got a bit more pep, but it's been retuned to develop more torque. And when I got off it, um, I picked it up from one of the... Uh, kind blokes who works at Triumph New Zealand, Mike, and um, picked up from his house in the morning, dropped it off in the evening, jumped on uh, old Rosie the rally, and I immediately missed the talk. <laughs> like, turned the throttle on the rally, and it felt like nothing happened in comparison to that Triumph. Oh, no. Have we have we driven a stake into uh, old Rosie the rally's uh, future? No. No, surprisingly, because I still then had two hours, or two and a half hours, I think it was, of riding home to Cambridge, and then I refell in with the little rally I, I haven't firmed up what the pricing is I think it's about $26,000 worth of motorcycle the Scrambler 1200 XE and um, so I was I was riding it maybe mm, 7, 8 tenths um, because the last thing I wanted to do was um, bin a brand new Triumph and then therefore own it so um, yeah so full details on the podcast next week yeah yeah we'll talk about the um, like I did record some audio unfortunately um my brilliant secondhand iPhone uh, mid-recording decided to pack a sad and deleted half of the apps on my phone as well as um, running its battery flat. Um, so we'll cobble something together and we'll um, talk in full about the Scrambler 1200 XE next week. Brilliant. Well, we are prattling on a bit. Let's get into the news. 
And not much news today, but uh, the Yamaha Tenere 700, which we've talked quite a bit about on the show uh, in the last few months, the international launch was a few weeks ago. There's a few YouTubers and media outlets around the world uh, getting a few videos up on the old internet, and I've been watching quite a few of them, and I think I'm in love. Not going to lie, I am impressed with it. Apparently, um, because you look at the photos of the bike, and it looks like it's got an absolute plank of a seat. Um, but I've had some guys um, in some of the videos I've been watching, some of them have been sort of claiming that it's almost all day comfortable, that seat, and I'm really keen to give it a go. Now, at the international launch, there were two different configurations of seat available for you, uh, for the guys to ride. Which one are you talking about? Because the one I was looking at was quite low, and it was an American rider, American outlet, uh, and the guy was saying that it was it was just a little bit too. It was great to sit on, stationary, but after a bit, after a while of riding, the knees were getting a bit cramped. And so I'm looking at the higher seat, going, well, that is probably where I'm a bit, you know. Mm, see, I'm only about five foot nine i think i might be lucky to make five foot ten um and yeah from what i gather like i'd probably be able to manage with either seat but for me when i'm looking at a seat and thinking um, bike comfort the whole leg cramp thing doesn't really i've never really had an issue with that Uh, maybe it's because i'm bang on sort of average height Um, but for me it comes down to um the comfort of the buttocks and um yeah some bikes well let's put it this way um Yesterday, I arrived in Auckland and I was mildly miserable. Um, I had worn through all the padding in the rally seat and it felt like I was sitting on the fairing. <laughs> I had a couple of, I had a wee bit of a sore bot. Um, but other bikes I've ridden, like that Moto Guzzi, I could honestly sit on all day, no dramas. Um, and yeah, there's just. It comes back, I think it was season one we talked about this, why can't every manufacturer make a seat that is comfortable for every single bike? I get surely it's not that hard. Well, it really comes down to what you're going to use it for. I mean, the uh, the WR, I can sit on that all day. I can ride, you know, 80Ks of trails on that. And I don't get a sore ass because I'm not necessarily sitting on it the whole time. Yeah, true that. Um, twisty corners, like when we uh, did the Forgotten Highway, um, I didn't get a sore backside at all on the rally, but cruising up to Auckland, um, by the time I am, say, in Pocono, um, I'm keen to stop for some Pocono bacon and an ice cream uh, just to get off the damn thing. <laughs> so the Tenere 700 uh, has the engine from the MT-07 high output. Now, the difference, of course, if you're not up to date with these engines, the difference between the high output and the Lambs version is the bore has been sleeved on the Lambs version, so it has a smaller displacement. So forget the Lambs one. It is the high output engine, which you can wheelie all day on. Uh, fantastic engine, but it's got longer gearing, they say. So it, um, it's still quite, uh, quite peppy. But it, it also doesn't have any rider aids whatsoever. It has uh, ABS, which can be turned off at a push of a button, which is nice and easy. No traction control, no nothing like that. No no maps, no um, different modes. It is just the controlled by the throttle and the clutch. And to me, that is going to be absolutely brilliant. I mean, it was really fun playing with the different modes in the uh, Adventure R, but... I think when you're getting out into the wop wops, it could just be another electronic device that that could die on you. Yeah, well, that was the interesting thing um, that was pointed out at that um, Boyd's launch that I went to uh, was the fact that the 790R has doesn't have a hydraulic clutch like all the other KTM adventure bikes. It's got a cable clutch for that precise reason. Was if it's going to fail on you out in the wop wops, it's a lot easier to fix a cable. You can couple of cable ties and bit of glue and some duct tape and you're away hydraulic clutch not so much well also it's a, they've put a lot of money into the suspension on that bike oh yeah like it's got half the bike's price suspension, suspension. <laughs> exactly so they've got to scrimp somewhere and if you're going to scrimp somewhere i think a ktm if you i don't know if you've ridden too many ktms but i have actually been down to uh, tss myself and and played with a few and something that Stuart from tss pointed out to me is that every single ktm has a nice clutch feel nice and smooth and easy to pull regardless of whether it's cable or hydraulic so they whoever's designing the clutches for ktms they know what they're up to yeah um honestly the only one i've actually paid any attention to the clutch was i rode a 390 duke which had a recluse clutch um which was utterly bizarre but pretty cool at the same time Uh, but back on the tenere i honestly think that 
if Yamaha are smart about things, they're going to market that bike as a raw experience, sort of minimal nanny controls, full throttle, like you're in control. Because I know there's a lot of riders out there that utterly despise ABS, traction control, rider modes. They just want to jump on a bike and just go. They don't want to faff about with switching rider modes and going into the computer and doing this and doing that they just want to ride um and i think that's probably one of the uh, yamaha's strong suits that and the price because it's under 17 grand here i'm a little bit disappointed with the dash cluster i mean i I get where they're going with it like no rider aids basic bike uh you know the the simplicity of you and the machine but they i think it's not it's just a redesigned mto7 dash it's there's nothing more to it than that really yes yeah, it looks like a game boy doesn't it it does <laughs> like the old classic game boy and it, it, if you look at the mto7 dash and even the mto9 i don't know about the mtt and i haven't got that close to it it is just your gray background with your black lcd display and I feel like they could have done something with that. I mean, you don't have to go full PlayStation with it, but even maybe have the basic model with the the basic LCD screen and then maybe release an upgraded model with the flash screen and the um, maybe more, you know, more computer uh, bits and pieces, more trip modes, more... Um Funny you say that, really, because that's exactly what they did with the Tracer 900. So in New Zealand, we only get the Tracer 900 GT. I think there's about four or five base Tracer 900s that they used at the launch because we hosted the Australian launch as well. Um, But every Tracer 900 GT has the TFT display. Um, It's just a little bit more trick, has panniers standard. And I wonder if maybe a little bit down the line, once they've sold a few of these bikes, if they are going to upgrade the 700 with that tft display because they've got it on the mt10 they've got it on the tracer 900 gt that hard i imagine to whack it on the um tenere and add a few more of those electronics maybe like they did it with the nikon too they made a they launched the nikon the three-wheeled um crab on wheels um because it let's be fair it's an odd looking motorcycle yeah it's an odd looking bike the silverback gorilla but then they released shortly after a gt version which was slightly more up spec so I wouldn't be surprised if sometime next year or end of this year, um, possibly at, say, Eichma or I think there's Intermot, um, the big Intermot show in Germany this year, if Yamaha does sort of make noises or even show off a upgraded 700 uh, Tenere, which would be really cool. Two more things about the Tenere. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I've been watching a lot of these YouTube videos, which I'm pretty sure you have too, Matt. Uh, One channel that I follow, and we mentioned a couple of episodes ago, uh, 44 Teeth, they do a really, really good review on the Tenere 700. One thing I was interested to see, though, was uh, they mentioned the clutch casing on the engine the engine itself is actually a lot wider than you would expect and so the the foot pegs are kind of oddly wide uh so i mean i don't know if that's going to impact a lot of people i know on the ktm 790 i felt like i could click my heels under the seat of of the bike like there was nothing down there it was it was very slim a lot of room to move down there i could we i could probably wear big motocross boots and have no dramas uh, so that that's one thing to watch out for, uh, and the other. But then you might actually like the wide foot peg placement because that's one of the things that I do find slightly irritating with my current foot pegs on the rally is they're not wide enough um, at where they're positioned. I feel like most of my weight is on the outside of my feet, um, so that might actually, depending on your foot size and um, the way you ride, that might actually be a benefit. Who knows? We'll have to wait till we ride the damn thing. Definitely. And the other I thought was was uh, an interesting and, and a, a pretty good innovation was the foot pegs. Now, if you think of proper dirt bike foot pegs, you know, metal with the big teeth that are going to rip a hole in your boot. Uh, they, that's what they are. But then they've got this kind of almost spring-loaded rubber inlay in the middle of it. So when you just when you just got your feet resting on the pegs when you're sitting on your ass, uh, nice bit of grip there and nice and spongy. But then when you're standing up, you've got you're digging into the metal, but you've got something to soak up that vibration. Not that the MT-07's engine is a is a very vibratory twin, but um, you've got some form of vibration uh, absorption there as well. See, that's one of the things I think Suzuki should have done from factory with the uh, DL-1000 V-Strom. 
um, with the X model in particular, the one I tested earlier this year, was that they had your factory sort of very road-oriented pegs, but as an aftermarket accessory direct from Suzuki, um, I know this because my old boss at... um, the old magazine I used to work at, he actually bought them for his personal DL1000. Um, they had pegs just like that. So you're sitting down, you've got the benefits of the rubberized foot peg, stand up, and it was spring-loaded, and the rubberized sections of the foot peg squashed down, and then you got the grip of an off-road peg. And it was brilliant. And I was thinking, why didn't Suzuki do this from factory? Because... The price of this as an aftermarket accessory versus the price of the bike, which is sharp, wasn't really going to hurt things. Um, and it's just such a benefit. Wouldn't you love to be on a, f- a fly on the wall of some of these uh, marketing decisions in, in these motorcycle factories? Oh, definitely. Um, it would be fascinating. It might be boring as batshit, but um, at times it would be fascinating to see how things actually work and the decisions made. And a lot of the time I think it is down to, um, as we said earlier, the cost cutting. Um, you've got to cut costs somewhere and um, yeah for the majority of people especially in Europe they don't actually ride gravel roads and off-road that often so uh, foot pegs um, going for the off-road gnarly peg doesn't make a lot of sense so I've only got one thing left to say on the uh, Yamaha Tenere 700 Uh, you've got an indication of the price it's going to be right 16999 plus on-road costs so 17500 give or take with on-roads where do I get that sort of money? Well, um, I believe you own more than one car and more than one motorcycle, so start selling well, stuff. I can't sell the cars. I can't sell the cars, because that, that's out of the question. Um, I can sell the MTO 7 for probably, what, seven grand. I can sell the, the WR for about three. That leaves me seven grand short. Do you hit both your kidneys? This is my have- problem. <laughs> yep. No, I could probably lose a kidney. I could probably lose half my body weight as well if there's any incredibly skinny people that want. I don't know. I got to come up with a way uh, of getting one of these bikes. I'm, I'm actually in love. Uh, I, I mean, I've ridden. I've, I've got to ride it. Got to ride it. Got to, got to stay neutral and think about this logically. Hey, but you bought one of the very first um, MTO sevens in the country before they were you'd even ridden the damn thing. Like, you'd put me your money down before I went on the press launch, man. They did say, they did say that the only thing that would beat the Yamaha Tenere 700 would be the KTM Adventure R. Or the, yeah, but then you're looking at a price differential of six or $7,000. I mean, there is quite a bit there. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But, I mean, and, I'm, and I'm, 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 I've ridden the Adventure R, the 790 Adventure R, and I haven't ridden the Tenere 700, but I'm just I'm 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 struggling to hold back the excitement on the Yamaha Tenere 700. I, we we've talked about it quite a bit, and I got to the point where I'm like, yeah, cool, it's another bike coming, and I'm I'm probably not going to be able to afford it. So I put it to the back of my mind, and then leading up to this episode, I did the research and watched the videos, and I got the fizz again. I have had a few early mornings, shall we say, and um, when you're barely awake at five-ish o'clock in the morning, sometimes earlier, um, you just whack something on in the background. And I find YouTube's a great thing to not only to sort of distract me and wake me up, but um, also sort of mollify the uh, the little boss. Um, and he loves the motorbike stuff, which is awesome for me. Um, but yeah, I've watched a fair few of those videos too. And basically most of them are coming out quite positive. There are a few little negatives that have cropped up from the odd person. Um, but they've been all around actually quite good. Yeah, I haven't actually seen a negative that, that that's impacted me yet. Yeah, I suppose the main thing is, as we've said, we need to ride it. Mm, we do. So let's leave it there and move on to something a little more KTM orientated. KTM have been sold. Yes. Yeah, so, well, not KTM themselves. Well, to an extent. Yeah, so... Like most motorcycle uh, companies here in New Zealand, uh, KTM up until, well, what is it? I think it changes over at uh, July 1st, if I'm uh, correct on myself, um, has been independently distributed in this part of the world. So it's been KTM Australia and New Zealand, but they've actually, behind the scenes, been a company called uh, Automotive Holdings Group, um, which since, I think, 1994 
has been the company that has um, sold and distributed KTM products, um, including the wider KTM stuff. So KTM also owns Husqvarna motorcycles and WP suspension. Um, since all those brands have been one, uh, this one group, Automotive Holdings Group or AHG, has um, basically been the company that's been pulling the strings for our part of the world. That is until now, um, where KTM has um, bought the remaining 74% share of the um, business. Basically, what they're telling us anyway in their press release is nothing's going to change. It's just that instead of AHG signing the checks and selling the bikes, it's going to be KTM. But yeah, long term, it will be quite interesting um, because obviously you've got different company cultures. Um, you can't change that. Um, and yeah, it'll be very, very interesting. Um, obviously, one of the things they were trying to stress is that for dealerships and for staff, nothing is going to change. Um, and it takes place um, from the 1st of July, so beginning of next month. And yeah, it'll be very, very interesting going forward. Um, <coughs> um, but yeah, for us sort of sitting on the... Uh, I suppose you and I, even though we're somehow in the, uh, I suppose, with this little podcast, because some people listen to it, uh, we're on the more journalism side of the uh, market. We're still plebs at the end of the day. And for us, yeah, I don't actually see a lot changing. Um, the pricing still going to roughly be the same because the cost of importing a motorcycle is the cost of importing a motorcycle. The company that owns it doesn't dictate that. Honestly, I think the only way is up from here because... You're not going to buy a company and then make things worse, are you? So, if anything, KTM is going to be stronger um, going forward, which I think a lot of other manufacturers might be quietly wetting their pants about. Sorry, I was listening, but um, you know what I was actually doing? I was pulling apart the brake reservoir on the dirt bike. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you can actually get something productive done because, let's face it, that wasn't the most interesting news story out. But unfortunately, it's one of the only ones that's uh, cropped up in the last week. Um, So (laughs) I'm glad I'm glad to be of service, mate, Um, holding the fort while you get something productive done. Brilliant. Well, you've, you've filled us in on the KTM situation. That pretty much rounds us off for the news. And so this is usually where we'd have a couple of stories. And I feel like going into winter, a lot of things have just started slowing down. Things are just not happening as much as they used to. Honestly, I feel like I'm riding more than ever at the moment, but that might just be me. Yeah, well, it, 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 you know yourself, from, from doing something to actually making a story out of it can be a lengthy process. So let's use this time to talk about a couple of things that we usually probably wouldn't. A couple of these topics we haven't touched on since Series 1 last year. Um, so let's let's bring let's bring a, a topic out. Let's go, let's talk about fuel. Yes. Ooh, that old chestnut. So we talked we talked a little bit about fuel and fuel economy on our trip around Taranaki, uh, episode ten, season two, uh, last season. Obviously, uh, you've had a chance to ride the CRF rally a bit more since then, and I've been riding the MTO seven. Not much has changed as far as the MTO 7s fuel economy goes. Uh, hundred uh, two hundred to two hundred Light comes on, and I can probably push it to 260 before I start, uh, you know, running out on corners and stuff. And I haven't gone that far, so 250k's would be a fair benchmark for the MTS. That's not too bad. 200 comfortably, 200 comfortably, 250 at a street. Because it's a 15 liter tank, isn't it? Fuel capacity on the MTO7 is 14 liters, which is 3.1 imperial gallons or 3.7 US gallons, and it is precisely. 3.8 3.8 litres more than I hold in the rally, which is 10.2 litres. Uh, also, I have an extra cylinder and another, what, 400 cc's? Yeah, that. And um, I'm not actually guessing a lot more weight, though. What's the wet weight on your... Uh... Wet weight is 179 to 181 kg. Yeah, so 157 is the wet weight of the rally. So um... 157 versus 181, okay. Yeah, I th- in terms of packaging, I think the MT wins. In terms of... Uh, 
handsome good looks, the rally hands down. I do actually. I really like the the, the, the rally's um, kind of front end. I don't. I'm not a massive fan of the headlight itself, but I do like the look of it. Have you seen? I've seen. Uh, in fact, Jock McLaughlin's got one. A photo of his adventure twin, though. That has got an angry looking front end. Yeah, well, this was actually something we were discussing. Um the other day at the Kiwi Rider 35th birthday riders, I was discussing with Ben, who unfortunately couldn't join us today, um, just what it would be like, um, sort of fast forward the clock, 10, 15 years into the future, how are bikes like the Africa Twin and the MT-10 with their very angry um, accented headlights, um, how are they going to look? in the future and it'll be very interesting to see um, how they age because I think to find out how they're going to age you've just got to look at things like the um, the <laughs> Yamaha R1 from what was it about 2002 oh the one with the um, oh the angular headlights I think you posted a couple of memes in the last uh, week or so um, of that particular bike. Yeah, it's it's the um, the giant killer, the massive one, the one that everyone kind of harks back to, and it's got a very... Yeah, I think it was the first cross-plane crank one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, probably. We'll say yes. Uh, we'll go with that. <laughs> Personally, for me, I really like bikes that have twin headlights, um, two circular headlights side by side. I think that is a classic look that you really can't go past. But I did. Yeah, I think a singular headlight looks very, very cyclops, very dopey, very. Yeah, and saying that, I was coveting uh, thy neighbour's bike um, over the weekend on this ride. Um, there was a or oh, 1990s-ish Honda Transalp, uh, the 600cc version. The rider was riding it fantastically, especially considering he had his wife on the back. And he was way ahead of me. Um, I had twice the engine on him. And man, this bike, I was looking at it and it brought me back exactly to where we were on our Taranaki ride, which was, I was stuck behind Mike a lot of the time. And I just couldn't help but admire the ass on this thing. Like 1990s Hondas had not only a decent looking front end, they had really nice butts. And you don't see that a nice butt on a motorcycle these days. It's very rare. I think it goes back to the designer and, you know, and, and having someone that is actually paid to make something look or sound good. Where nowadays everything's cost driven. And so the first thing to go is, you know, the artist's. You know, somebody else can do your job. We don't need you anymore. You can go and we'll get the person who was designing the arse to do the front as well. Yeah. Um, and then you get into all your uh, regulations and rules around the world. And, um, yeah. Headlights must be X amount from the road and all that. Yeah, pedestrian safety. Right, let's get back, let's get back um, to fuel. So the MTO7 yep. uh, does 250Ks to a stretch on a 14-litre fuel tank. Uh, obviously, uh, 655cc's twin uh, twin pot uh the crf how many k's to attack generally i start um getting a wee bit worried when i get to about 230 240 k's um but on the weekend um i will admit i was a bit of a knob and i left the house without my wallet which when you're traveling from cambridge to auckland distance of about 150 k or so your wallet's something you really want to have with you it's a kind of handy item to have so I was about 15 minutes out of Cambridge and went bollocks, I don't have my wallet, turned around. And from that point on, I was absolutely wringing the neck out of the poor little thing um, because I had to go and pick up um, the aforementioned Triumph. And I also had to make it to the meeting point for this Kiwi Rider ride on time. And um, yeah, um, Sorry, my neighbour is, I'm assuming, tuning his motorcycle in the background. All I can hear is... Yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, I am sure my wife is upstairs absolutely very, ups, um, very, very upset because we're struggling with our young man sleeping at the moment. Oh, he's off for a test ride. Sorry, you probably can't hear that on your end, um, but the bike has left the uh, block, it sounds. Um, <laughs> so you were rigging the neck on the uh, CRF. And I got my worst fuel economy ever. Surprise, surprise. Um... I was, um, so I've generally started panicking when the little fuel gauge on the rally um, is on its last bar, but it turns out that there is a uh, further um, station from that. It is flashing last bar, um, and I was cruising up to Green Lane on the uh, 
Auckland motorway. And all of a sudden I see this bar flashing. Oh dear, I guess I have to pull off now and fuel up because between Green Lane and Oniwa Road, there is no convenient place to pull over and fuel up. So one rather expensive Auckland fuel up later, I was on my way. But on the way home, because I wasn't wringing the neck out of the bike, I got absolutely fine fuel economy. I think I used two bars on the uh, dash. But in saying all this, it was a wee bit windy and as sexy as my bike looks, its fairing is not the most aerodynamically helpful thing when you're riding in gale force winds. <laughs> great to hide behind, not so great for crosswinds. And as it turns out, if you're trying to get right at 10 tenths, not great for fuel economy either. I used to have a, a 1986 VT250F. It was a V-twin little fella. And uh, I remember leaving Topor fully fueled. And I managed, I was heading to Auckland, I managed to get to uh, the Highbrook Road, Highbrook off-ramp uh, South Auckland there before it ran out of gas on the off-ramp. And I had to push a cop pulled up behind me what are you doing oh, I've run out of gas I'm pushing so he's driving behind me at 2k's an hour with lights flashing as I'm pushing the bike down the off ramp and then I, it was an incline up to the Z station that was just you know another 100 metres up the road so that's why I learnt the hard way not to run your bike on the reserve switch because when you need reserve there's nothing more see that's the thing that I kind of miss in bikes these days and admittedly I have very minimal experience with the reserve switch um the only I, I honestly off the top of my head i've only ridden two bikes i think that have had one klr 650 kawasaki which has a massive 22 23 liter fuel tank and um the little jixa 150 it's one of those things where you know exactly all right i'm on the reserve now exactly on reserve i have x distance or x liters to go whereas on a bike with EFI and your electronic um, fuel gauge, you're never actually that precise. Like I've never really been able to trust a fuel gauge on anything, but at least when you know when you have to switch the fuel tap to reserve, there's literally nothing above that. I see the MTO7, I, I ride um, more with a, with the trip meter than I do with the fuel gauge. I know there's fuel in it, but it, it could be sitting on the side stand and say it's got half a tank when I know I've just filled it. Or it might you know, say it's got three quarters of a tank when I've done 200 Ks out of that tank already and I know that it doesn't have much left to go. So, I mean, that's that's always been my rule of thumb with a motorbike is, is when you first get it, ride safely, like so you know you're not that far away from a petrol station if you have to push, to the point where you, you run out of nerve, you lose your nerve and you get as far as you can. You go, right, this bike can do X amount of Ks on a tank and ride within that that figure that's what i've always done anyway see there's something i'd really like to try on the rally is see exactly how far i can go riding an average ride and it might be something to try on our next trip which sadly we're not going to manage to get in on this season um but i might take the old five liter jerry can with me fuel that up strapped to the back of the bike oh and then it's an economy challenge i like it yeah and just see exactly how far we can get past our uh mental barrier because let's face it it is a mental barrier for us i, I feel like the, the the rally and the and the mto7 they're, they're quite i mean sure they've got completely different engines and completely different fuel tanks and blah, blah 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 but i feel like they're quite evenly matched as far as uh how far they go on a tank yeah and especially as like let's face it the 250 it needs its neck ring out of it to um maintain speed at times um and admittedly i didn't really have any issues keeping up with you guys on our last ride um, until you decide to open the taps on those long straights behind Mount Taranaki. But <laughs> yeah, at that point I was just like, eh, whatevs. <laughs> I'll get there sooner or later. Yeah, they'll have to stop eventually. And all you can hear is, bye! More precisely, seeing the uh, the taillights disappearing in the distance. But uh, yeah, I think in terms of what we generally get out of our bikes, we're pretty close in terms of distance. I really, I think the most I've gotten is 240 um, before I really chickened out. But at that point, I still hadn't seen the flashing last bar. 
So I don't know how far I could go on the rally. It'd be really interesting to find out by actually running the thing dry. So we'll work all that out in the in the uh, the next trip, which I mean I want to talk about uh, later in the podcast. We're actually we're rapidly cracking on with time. So let's move on to the next little uh, topic we were going to talk about, which was uh, being now officially winter. Let's talk about essential winter gear. I mean, you go out in a certain setup in summer. How does that change to when you go out in winter? Personally, I couldn't go out without heated grips. I, I get, I'd, my hands would freeze. Honestly, um, as of this weekend um, gone past, heated grips are now at the very top of my uh, mod list for the rally. Um, I was very fortunate that um, Mike Cross from Triumph New Zealand loaned me a pair of uh, Triumph branded uh, Gore-Tex winter gloves. Oh, the luxury compared to my uh, summer gloves, which um, unfortunately are the only gloves I own. Well, I'm going to be getting a pair of those Triumph gloves because they were awesome. But they're also dual purpose as well. Instead of your normal winter glove where you put your hand in and it's nice and thick and warm, but a bit restrictive in terms of your hand movement. This Somehow there's some witchcraft going on in these gloves. And you've got two pockets so you can have your nice warm comfy pocket. Or you can have an actual a pocket where you can feel what's going on. It's like the best of both worlds all wrapped in one. I Honestly, I don't know why this kind of glove isn't actually more wide, widely used. I've never come across it before, and I'm in love. That's something I could get am- amongst on, because I wear motocross gloves, and I know that if I come off, I'm going to lose everything on my hand. That's fine. Uh, that's the risk I take when I wear motocross gloves. But I've always worn motocross gloves because I can't. I get pins and needles in my hands when I can't wrap my hands around the the grips tight enough or, you know, because there's so much padding in there and it's just uncomfortable. Where if I wear the motor, motor, motocross gloves and the heated grips, I'm sweet as. Uh, with, with a bit more heat um, padding over the knuckles or something, a bit more thermal going on there, that'd be great. Yeah, see, that's why one of the reasons I have, like, I've got two sets of the damn things. They're Revit Dirt 2s. They're my favourite glove. Like, love them so much, I bought them twice at retail. And, um, but at winter... They are a bit chilly, but um, these Triumph gloves, um, which you can pick up from any Triumph dealer, I believe, uh, they're called the Melvern, which sounds very British. Um, they're about $369, which, yeah, that's pretty pricey for a glove, but honestly, like, you're getting two gloves in one here. It's I kind of think they're worth it. And just, honestly, pulling over, I was, I'd just passed Topri Mountain. I'd give them a wave to Billy T., and I was like, oh, my hands are a wee bit chilly now. Oh, that's right. I can just pull the gloves off, put them back on, and put them on the warm setting. Uh, I guess that's what I'll call it, switching pockets. And I was just like, oh, yeah, this is good. Didn't have a drama at all for the rest of the ride. And, yeah, like oh, I, we could rave on and on about gloves and heated grips, but there are obviously other things you can do to make your uh, winter riding a little bit more now Pleasing. I call it a neck sleeve is my next item on the list uh, I keep these in the cupboard I don't use them in summer I have absolutely no need for them but when I got I bought some um, some oil and filters and other bits and pieces from my mate Rick down at MCR in Dunedin and uh, he sent me up one of these neck sleeves as a, as a oh thanks for coming to us you know here's, here's a little koha and uh, I didn't use it for months and then it got really cold I'm like ah oh, bugger it I'll use this neck sleeve thing pulled it down over my neck put it under my jacket and you know up around my chin under the helmet and that thing although it's the thinnest material known to man uh, it's amazing how much warmer that keeps you oh hell yeah one thing I have found out of them I call them neck tubes um, some people call them buffs as well um, which I think is actually a brand name um if it's raining, you definitely don't want them under your jacket because they'll act like a wick and channel all the water under your jacket. I found that out the hard way on my old commute from uh, Cambridge to Pyro. Um, but like, just on a regular chilly day, sun shining, they are magic. Um, and I actually have, I have a variety. So I've got <clears throat> a couple that are a Cherby branded. Um, I've got a couple that are Bridgestone branded because um, that was part of the... Uh, swag for showing up at that awesome Boyd's evening when the KTM 790 was launched but also I have one and it's my oldest neck tube today but I've kept it around and it's polar fleece and it's from Katmandu and honestly 
it's probably my go-to in the winter because it's just that thicker material. Being polar fleece, it doesn't wick, um, so you don't have water traveling along the channels through all the fibers and getting in underneath your jacket. And it really, really does a good job of keeping your neck warm. Um, and <clears throat> like, honestly, it's the kind of thing your mum could make up with her sewing machine. Um, just get a piece of polar fleece from Spotlight sort of thing. Um, you probably could actually just Google it. I'm not going to bother doing it now, though, because um, I have been told in previous episodes that my typing on my computer is horrendously loud. Um, but you could probably just Google it and get a pattern and easily stitch yourself one up um, with minimal effort needed. Um, they're really like it's a simple piece of kit but it makes a huge difference tell you about another piece of a simple piece of kit next on my list is uh, I always have to take it every single day a, a complete spare change of clothes in a waterproof bag and I just wrap it all up chuck it in the panniers because you never know when it's going to absolutely hammer down on the way to work and you know being a commuter rider I seem to recall a couple of photos of you looking like you'd wet your pants when you've arrived at work yeah it's not the first time it's happened either <clears throat> <laughs> i just got to make what? sure I don't wear beige shorts uh, on the way to work if the weather's looking a bit dicey. See, why Why are you wearing shorts underneath your bike trail anyway? Like, surely it's easier to just take the one pair of pants and, and just a spare change of gruds instead of uh, getting a set of gruds and a set of pants wet. See, this is an interesting uh, question. Is that not a normal thing, wearing pants under your bike pants? I don't typically you know i typically just wear like yeah i've got my uh, rather nice uh, rivet um kevlar jeans but under those i'll either wear just my normal undies or if i'm doing a big ride i'll wear um you might laugh at this um some like recycling shorts because they wick away all the sweat and whatnot and you don't get a sore ass quite so quickly um but underneath my uh scott adv gear my textile gear i just wear the usual uh, underwear I don't ever seem to wear shorts or whatever because I find it bunches up and it makes like if you've got a seat like a plank like me it makes the ride a lot more uncomfortable a lot quicker see I've got Oxford pants I couldn't tell you what brand or what, what model or anything but they're Oxford uh, and they they I've always worn shorts or jeans or whatever under them. There was another layer, which I did remove, I seem to remember. It's probably in a, in a cupboard somewhere, uh, which I took out. So I've got the full, you know, the, 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 the external shell, and there is um, the padding layer on the inside. But I've always worn shorts or jeans or something underneath because, you know, I, I wear them every day. So I, I chuck them on over my clothes. I get to work. I take my bike gear off, and I'm, I'm dressed ready to go. But I always take that extra pair of, you know, change of clothes in winter in a waterproof bag in one of the panniers and it just lives in there for the season until I need it because one day I will need it. Yeah, as you've proven in the past. Um, I was very lucky to come across a waterproof bag uh, very recently and um, honestly it's one of those pieces of cat I'm very stoked to have because exactly as you say, it's nice to have a spare change of clothes. So you, I mentioned at the start of this topic, heated grips. Um, there's quite a few different brands and different models you can get. I've tried the Daytona ones, which were pretty good as an entry-level heated grip. Uh, it was a kind of push and hold the button, wait for the light to come on jobby. And I think there were three heat settings, which was, it was adequate. It wasn't terrible, and they definitely kept my hands warm through thick or thin gloves. The ones I've got at the moment are uh, a little black box on the handlebars with a big red button, and it's a single push to turn them on and then you've got eight heat settings from you know mildly lukewarm right through to burn your face off <laughs> but then there's some some technical ones i think oxford do a really good controller for heated grips yeah i had oxford grips on my two uh, two of my higher sons i had oxford heated grips on and they were magic um, and I thought I knew cold winters living in Auckland, but holy hell, moving down here to the mighty Waikato, yeah, I'm going to have to get some heated grips, <laughs> I've decided. Now, heated grips, they, they range in price. Uh, I have some seen some people get the ones off AliExpress, which... To be honest, it's electrical on your bike. I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be trusting it. Uh, you, your Oxford ones range from about 139 through to about 180, depending on different uh, different configurations. They seem to be the most popular option in New Zealand as well. I know a lot of bike shops stock them, so they're easy to get to, and they are well supported if you do need to get something done to them. Though I never really had any issues with mine. 
Though in saying that, the older Oxford, if you're buying secondhand, um, the newer versions, um, the little black boxes, uh, you previously called it, Ray, um, has a little sensor in it. So it knows when the ignition's turned off and it will automatically turn the grips off for you if you forget. Now, my dad has um, older style Oxford grips on his uh, Tiger 1050 and the number of times he's run his battery flat um, because he's left his heated grips on is... Um, well, if I had a dollar for every time, I'd have enough for a beer. That was always a big thing for me uh, when I was installing mine. Was I had to uh, I had to install it into a circuit that did turn off when you turn the bike off because I just didn't want to risk uh, running the bike flat. You know, when you stop for a beer in in the middle of the uh, forgotten highway. Wait, did you have your heated grips on on that trip? Man, I have my heated grips on everywhere. Ah, oh, jealous. Remembering though that I I run motocross gloves. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else um, that's handy to know in winter, but um, I suppose getting the right gear to start off with is probably the biggest one. Um, so, and I think when it comes to dressing, making sure that you, you, if you're going on a long ride, that you you layer up, you get your base layers and your your core nice and warm. Uh, the best thing for a base layer is going to be a natural fibre. So you're talking your merinos and, and that sort of base layer clothing uh, and getting, you know, as much cotton and actual proper, not nylon, like use your nylons for your, your shells, your outer shells, but keep your base layers uh, as natural as possible because it's going to insulate you more. Uh, and, and one thing that that's, if you if you ever find yourself, say, in the middle of, if you, if you get to Wairu and you need to go across the desert road and there's snow on that mountain, you're going to have a cold day. Stop at ZN1 buy yourself a newspaper and screw it up into balls and stuff it inside your jacket if you're getting cold because you're going to um, you're going to keep those those air pockets in there and the air is what's going to be uh, the insulator for you so do a few push-ups get yourself nice and warm stuff that newspaper into every crevice of your jacket you can find and even if you get a bit damp that's going to insulate you and keep you warm so at a pinch use newspaper to uh, to warm yourself up and one more thing was uh, keeping your hands dry is most important so if you haven't got proper waterproof gloves or you have and they're starting to leak, uh, get yourself some um, some rubber gloves. Put the rubber gloves on under your bike gloves. And although they're not going to breathe and you are going to sweat and your hand's going to get wet, wet that way, you're going to stay warmer for longer. Yeah. Funny that um, old newspaper trick. It sounds very hobo-ish. Um, is this something that you've actually done it in the past? It pretty much is. <laughs> it is. It really is. I seem to recall some kind of movie where they did something like this. It may have been the day after tomorrow. Actually, that oh, this, the, the back story to this is uh, I was living in Taupo. I'd met my now wife and uh, was moving to Paraparaumu and we jumped on the GW250, which was brands. It, hadn't, it didn't even have a thousand Ks on it yet. Uh, and two up, we rode from Taupo to... Uh, to to basically Wellington to check out this. That's how you know she was a keeper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and and it was literally just to check the place out. And we were going to be riding back to Taupo, uh the, the the Sunday night. So we were. It was eleven o'clock Sunday night that we were riding through Taipei, and it was freezing. And I was tucking in behind the big uh, dual carriage truck things um a lot closer than you would want to ride but to the point where i was inside the wind shadow just to stay warm and so she was quite warm she, she's three foot nothing she's sitting behind me like a backpack and she was uh, insulated by the wall uh, by the you know my windshield <laughs> but uh, i was absolutely frozen so wairu we pulled over i stuffed my jacket full of newspaper and it wasn't ideal i mean it, it wasn't going to insulate me like a top quality jacket but it did a lot more than nothing i'll tell you that much now yeah, that was one of the things that I was going to say. Like, I was very spoiled at my last job. Um, I had some premium uh, Revit kit, um, the Poseidon GTX uh, jacket and pants. And oh, if I could score myself another set of that stuff, I would be a happy man. Like, I ne- didn't even have to wear like the usual thermal underlay or whatever. Um, it was that good. Like, I did the cold Kiwi. I just wore a t-shirt underneath my jacket on the ride down, did the desert road, there was snow, whatnot. Oh, that stuff was good, but it's pricey. Um, And that's the thing you've always got to sort of, I suppose, weigh up is what can you afford versus your realistic riding conditions? Um, Whereas that's why I have a set of Scott 350 ADV gear. It's a nice, great shell. It's got some great protection in it, uh, but it doesn't have a thermal liner or a waterproof liner. But... And saying that, I, I, I'm not like you, I don't ride every day, I don't need 
fully four season gear. I'd say that's the downside to my to my riding style as well is the fact that I do ride every day, so my gear wears out so much. Yeah, faster. that was something I did notice when I was riding every day too, and. Um, I used to actually have, I had two sets of gear. So I had my older gear um, and then I had my slightly newer gear. And basically I'd alternate them, especially in winter when it was pissing with rain. Um, I would basically one day ride one set of gear, have the other set of gear hung up in the hot water cupboard or in the garage or whatever, wherever it could dry. And then the next day I'd wear that gear and I'd alternate. <laughs> Um, it worked for a while, but um, when you've got a few uh, very stormy days in a row, it um, yeah, nothing's stopping you from riding in wet gear, unfortunately. Time is marching on, but here's one more hack for you, which uh, we're going to do a, a full segment on, on motorcycle life hacks next episode. But here's one more hack for you. Get a dehumidifier, even a cheap, crappy one, because you can put your boots upside down on the dehumidifier in the wind uh, and they are going to dry in approximately one hour and 27 minutes. It's a weird way of saying they're going to dry really quickly. Uh, I've got a, a set of riding boots, but they're street boots. They're kind of street shoes. Uh, and as soon as the you know, any kind of weather, the water goes straight off my pants and into my boots. Um, but they, they dry really quickly sitting upside down on the dehumidifier, like amazingly nice. quickly. Yeah, I wish I had a dehumidifier. <laughs> right. Uh, so one more thing I want to talk about, and we have talked about our last trip to Taranaki. I just wanted to open the the floor, kind of open the topic, just plant the seed of of where the next trip is going to go. We've talked about not being able to do it this season. It's completely fine. You've got commitments. I've got commitments. We've both got lives. Uh, but yeah. Also, we've only got three weeks until the very end of the season, so we're not really going to pull something out of the hat in that time we do we do exactly but we do have to do another trip i mean the trip around taranaki was fantastic and that all came about because we were going to go to tussock buster tussock buster was cancelled i suggested uh we go to the forgotten highway because i remember hearing some random story about the forgotten highway being cool uh and then we both realized that neither of us and yet somehow you didn't hear that the forgotten highway had gravel in it it's just <laughs> i probably have, yeah i might have neglected to remember that one small uh, fact and then both of us realised that neither of us have actually been around Mount Taranaki yeah, so, and that worked out really well and we dragged along Ben from Kiwi Rider and uh, old mate Mike um, both on bikes significantly larger than us um, and we had a blast. It was a great weekend. So I've been thinking about like trips down south. I've been thinking about trips up north. Uh, probably don't want to go down south too soon because we're thinking about, well, you're you're a lot more keen in it than, than I've been thinking about it, but uh, Burt Munro next year. Yeah, so I'm actually discussing, well, I think it may even be locked in. I'm going to take my old man. He's turning 70 next year right when the Burt Munro starts. Um, so I am going to save up my... Uh, minuscule income and uh, shout my dad a trip to the Burt Monroe. Well, I'm going to shout him his rally tickets. Um, he can pay for fuel and whatnot to get down there because uh, that's a hell of a long way from Whangamata. It is, but it's the best time of year to be doing it. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, for for us and our um, budget of $0 for travel, um, I'm thinking that uh, Cook Strait Crossing is a bit of a no-go for us at this stage with... Two, three. Probably without any backing, without any sponsorship. I did have the thought the other day, and this is just another random idea, that we could uh, we could get some backing, we could get Suzuki on board to give us a couple of GN125s or GN250s, and we could do a massive trip, and everywhere we stop, we could raise some money and we could give it all to charity, and it would be a hoo-ha. That would be awesome, but the tricky bit there would be, um, apart from convincing Suzuki New Zealand to give us... Uh, two or three of their uh, lovely brand new bikes would be um, what charities would we raise money for? Well, motorcycling is is predominantly uh, ruled by testosterone, right? It's predominantly a male thing. I know there are some fantastic females involved. Don't get me wrong there. But by way and far, by far and away, there'd be more males involved. So maybe we could uh, tie it in with Blue September. Maybe we could uh, give money to raise raise awareness for male prostate cancer. Yeah, that would be a good thing to do. Um, but what would we do? Where would we go? This is a very good question, and maybe we should open this to the listeners. If you've got an idea of, of a road less travelled, a road that you think we should tackle, uh, we, we, we'd love to do another Forgotten Highway 
mean, if there's another one of those around the country that you know of, it doesn't have to have it doesn't have to have gravel. It doesn't have to not have gravel. But a fantastic road or trail or track somewhere, we want to hear from you. The ways to get hold of us are powerbandpodcast at gmail.com, powerbandpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. Jump on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash powerbandpodcast, and you can uh, hit the message there or just comment on stuff. You know, just just say it out loud um, and we'll set up a post where you can let us know uh, any roads that you think we should we should tackle. Uh, Bonus points for uh, lovely scenery because uh, we love a good photo. Have you been out to Gisborne before, Matt? No, I, as far as I know, I've never been to the East Cape, which um, I was discussing with our partner in crime, Ben, uh, the other day that um, I'd love to do a trip out there, go to uh, Lake Waikere Moana. Um, but unfortunately, um, from what I've seen, there's a bit of gravel involved. I've never been to Cape Reinga on a bike. I've been in a 96 Nissan Toronto. Oh, I've done it in a uh, 2003 Toyota Vitz with three people on board, and we did it in one day. That was an awesome day. So, yeah, we'd love to hear your ideas. Do let us know. Um, that, that pretty much wraps us up, though. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's only one thing left to do today. And that would be the dad joke. Now, I gave a dad joke last week, so it must be your turn, man. Yeah, and um, I believe I've got one here prepared for... What do you call a Mexican who has lost his car? Wee bit racist, this one. I don't know. What do you call a Mexican who has lost his car? Carlos. I see what you did there. Carlos, car, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wee bit, wee bit uh, politically incorrect, but uh, some of the best jokes are, aren't they? Thank you very, very much to our sponsor for the season and long-term supporter of the podcast, Motomuck. Use the code POWERBAND when you hit up the Motomuck store, the online store at motomuck.co.nz. If you use POWERBAND as a code, you'll get 15% off your purchase. That doesn't sound like an awful lot when I say it like that, but it brings the cost of their five-litre uh, cleaner down to less than $39. Plus, you can use two codes at the same time. So if you use FREEF, F-R-E-E-F, at the same time, you'll get free postage. Motomuck is fantastic at cleaning your bike, isn't it, Matt? I used it today, actually. I can't say uh, the wife was happy because uh, I should have probably been entertaining my in-laws. But uh, yeah, I used it on the rally and um, I am unfortunately all out. Oh, motormark.co.nz. Use the power. The, use the code POWERBAND, get 15% off. It is as simple as spraying it on, going and having a beer, coming back and spraying it off. Done. Clean, no muss, no elbow grease, clean as a whistle. Thank you also to onthrottle.co.nz. That's your website. Matt, uh, tell us about On Throttle. Oh, it's just a little uh, blog website that I started uh, when I left my last job to uh, become a stay-at-home dad. And uh, that's where I try and uh, keep the uh, Kiwi motorcyclists up to date with the very latest in motorcycling news. The odd review as they come through, um, but all tailored specifically for Kiwi motorcycling. So none of this uh, rubbish about American specs or American pricing or... Unless, of course, it's relevant American to us. rubbish. Yeah, like that's one of those things that really did annoy me for quite some time was I'd be on the Facebook and uh, I'd be on a group or whatever and then all How old are you, by the way, on the Facebook? I've been spending a lot of time with old people recently and I'm very tired, sorry. But yeah, I'd be on the old facey. Uh, actually, I heard an old person use that lately as well. I was on the book face. Yeah, on the book face. Yeah, I'd just see people, they'd be sharing stories from American websites and it'd be all American pricing and all American specs. And as we have come to know, American pricing and American specs means absolutely for New Zealand, especially when it comes to arrival dates. I thought, well, there's a gap here in the market, so I created onthrottle.co.nz. And pretty much everything we talk about on the podcast ends up there, right? Pretty much. Or, or it's probably there before we talk about it just quietly. Yeah, well, all the all the important stuff, uh, the random uh, chit-chat does not go on onthrottle.co.nz. That just stays uh, exclusive to Powerband Podcast. And finally, thank you very much to our mates at Kiwi Rider, kiwirider.co.nz. It is the old magazine. You, you say that to people, you say, oh, yeah, I do a bit of work for Kiwi Rider. They go, oh, that magazine. Did you know it's not actually a magazine anymore? Well, it is a magazine, but it's not a physically printed magazine. Yeah, but in saying that, I actually got to see uh, issue number two um, over the weekend, um, which had been framed nicely as a gift for the publisher, um, which incidentally had a hilarious photo of him riding some Suzuki dirt bike on the front. With his Vegemite top on. Yeah, it was a a golden, golden oldie, that photo. Uh, But it was 
actually originally printed in newsprint, which I didn't realise. So that's going way back. So check out kiwirider.co.nz. It is an online magazine. It is full of all good stuff motorbike related. Now, in the latest issue, which came out last week, uh, two Africa twins take a road slash off-road trip from down near Christchurch somewhere to Auckland the long way through the Hunter... Not the Hunterleys. What is it? The... um Oh, they did a lot of cool stuff and I was really, really jealous um, reading it. Um, That was one of the very first articles I clicked on actually when that uh, arrived in my inbox because they got they go back to Wellington on the ferry and they went hang on should we go the should we go the other way past the, past the black stump and through Wadapa yeah um, honestly um, from what I understand uh, when that trip was uh, sort of discussed in the very early stages um, Jock and Jeff who are the two lads that uh, did that trip and did that review uh, they made everyone that knew about it to swear to secrecy so they could basically uh, do the trip themselves um, and I am really jealous because it looked yeah, awesome. sounds like a whole lot of fun. Also, the party couch, we've talked about it. Uh, it was the bike that Ben rode in the finale of Season 2, the BMW R1250 GS Adventure. Fantastic bike. Full write-up of it there. And the full story on my Michelin Road 5 tyres, the shocking, shocking turn of events that happened in the first 30, uh, 36 hours uh, of getting them on the bike. The full story and a whole lot more is up right now at Kimi Rider. .co.nz So thank you very much to the team at Kiwi Rider for supporting us and uh, do check them out. Oh, cool, I think that's us. Are we done? Is I that think us? that's us. Fantastic. Yeah. Alright, next week we're going to be talking about uh, life hacks, winter life hacks for your riding of motorcycles and a whole lot more, plus we'll be checking out that Triumph that uh, Matt rode last, uh, last weekend. Yeah, the Triumph uh, I want to say Tiger. I keep trying to say Tiger, but it's not. It's the Triumph Scrambler 1200XE. Looking forward to that. Uh, until then, I've been Ray. I've been Matt. Keep the rubber side down, power on, and we will catch you in seven days' time. <laughs>